0: this There's a God up in heaven, that's a devil in hell There's a mother, she's crying, cause her babies are dying And the father in jail, with a son by his side But our father, he loves us, unlike any of us Gave his only beloved, 316 on the cross I know where you're going, if you live in that light You're imperfect among us, but in the dark we are light Thank you Jesus, I love you, help me spread the news If you live in a lie, you ain't going to die with the truth.
1: This is Matt and Mom Live. It's real, it's raw, it's relevant. This show is about the topical, the conversational, but most importantly, the purposeful. We hope to develop and distribute hope to the broken. We pray that this show blesses you today. All right, we're back at it again. This is Matt and Mom Live. It's real, it's raw, it's relevant. Again, we go back and forth conversationally. Purposefully and mostly candidly, we try to be honest where we've been, and hopefully, it's relative to where you are. We understand the reason for the show is we want to develop and distribute hope to the broken. So, if you're out there and you are just tuning in for the first time, there's a bunch of other episodes archived. You can actually go to the Matt Story dot com and find the Matt and Mom Live tab, which is right under the I Conviction navigational bar. Right there, you'll find all of our previous shows. We just kind of completed a one-year anniversary series, and I think if we kept going, we would have found so many more stories. We would have been in the second year of the anniversary, which you probably could be confused at this point. The anniversary had nothing to do with something that most people would ever celebrate. It was actually the one-year mark of me being out of prison. And if that's shocking to you as a listener, again, go to the com. My name's Matthew Mayer, and it's my story, but only... Is it relevant when it gives God glory? So, been through so much. Hopefully you can go in those archives and either listen to them and share them with people. We have listeners from all over the country, all over the world. It's kind of strange when you realize you could sit in a little studio and go back and forth and have people out there curious about what you're talking about. But it has nothing to do with us and everything that God is willing to do through us. And that's the theme. God is willing to make much of himself through the individuals who allow him to do so.
2: Yes, and this is Matt's mom and today we're going to switch gears a little bit and actually I think this is going to be very relevant to a lot of our listeners. Uh Matt last week delivered a uh, teaching called Our Prodigal Father and it was based on the story of the prodigal son. And being the mom of Well, a- that's what
1: it's known as. That's that's what we're trying to get away from. It's it's known as the story the parable actually of the prodigal son. Yeah. And
2: the, I've never heard he called the prodigal father.
1: Well, I read a book, and it was actually – the idea is not unique with me, and I'm not sure if it's unique to this author, but he wrote an awesome book about it. The author's named Tim Keller, and he wrote The Prodigal God, and before we get into that, he breaks down just the word prodigal, and he says, technically, who was more prodigal in this story? And the reason why we want to get away from calling it The Prodigal Son is because it's a story about two sons. True. And a father. True. And we usually don't get into the second son because that's a whole other sermon.
2: I did a whole Bible study on that second son.
1: Right, the son that never went. And they're the people that are technically in the church that get mad at people like me for getting blessings. Because mm-hmm. I was the son that did go. I went.
2: Well, I'll tell you, as a of someone from a family of seven, I was also the good son, <laughs> the good daughter. I could never understand how someone that did something so wrong, you know, things should turn out right. So I related to that until we broke it apart, until the Lord saved me, and I started to see, whoa, who am I? We are all born sinners. We are all corrupt. Whether we think our good works are good works, they're not.
1: Right, so in this actual story, it's one of three that Jesus tells us in one parable. And in fact, it's found in Luke chapter 15, and it's the only gospel that records these parables. So it's only unique to Luke. And a little background on the reason why it's only unique to Luke. See, other gospels have some of the same stories, the same teachings, the same miracles. Um, but Luke has a little bit extra, and it's, the reason is because Luke wrote his gospel to target a certain audience. Matthew, he wrote his gospel to target the Jewish audience. So there's a lot of references to Old Testament scriptures, the Messiah, the Christ, because the Jewish audience would have been primed to understand that gospel. Mark wrote his gospel. It's the shortest gospel. He wrote his to the Roman audience. It's a very fast-paced gospel. They did not care about all the, the words like the Jews did. They cared about the works. Tell me how it works, and I'll believe. Then you get into Luke. He writes his gospel to the Greek audience. So what would be unique about the Greek audience, they loved a good story. They were an audience who appreciated theater. They appreciated philosophy. So here Jesus telling this story and Luke recording it to his audience, they would appreciate what a profound story Jesus tells. Now the background even further is why Jesus begins telling us this story is because it says he sits down with sinners and tax collectors and as they drew near to him to hear him, because they had a heart to hear, who had a problem with it? They're religious folk, the Pharisees, the self-righteous. And they say, look at him. He's supposed to be a prestigious teacher, a rabbi, yet he's hanging out with sinners and had a problem with that. It's that point where Jesus says, I'm going to tell you this story. And it says, and he tells us this parable, right? And it's the last time you see the word parable. And then he tells us three stories. So it's one parable with three aspects. It's one symphony with three movements. It's like one song. With three verses, the first verse, the first movement, the first aspect, deals with the good shepherd, the shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes to get the one. That entire story is basically a picture of Jesus. Then you get into the woman who lost her coin, and she frantically searches the house to find it. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And then he tells this final story of the the father who had two sons, and it's a picture of the father's love the grace and mercy of the good father so right there you have three in one the triune god and it should actually be called the parable of the character of god they're not separate parables so
2: well you know what i want i want to make this more practical too for those that are listening who are dealing with prodigal children that i think is a really important point and that is the only way and i had a prodigal son the only way to essentially get through those prodigal times is understanding the character of God. Because if you don't understand the character of God, then you could lose hope really quick. And then you could see no purpose in what you're going through.
1: Right. And I think if you just, again, read those three stories, that one parable. It's the one parable. Read how Jesus would leave the 99 to go get the one. So the one never goes too far. Jesus always goes farther. And then the woman, who's symbolic of the Holy Spirit, she loses her coin. Yeah, she's not willing to just say, All right, I I have nine left. No, she turns the house upside down to find that coin. And then you have the father, and in the two stories, the, the son who goes and wastes everything that the father had given him.
2: Yeah, let's talk about kind of the steps of that. Um, as you know, there's so much to this story, but let's let's pick out some of the pieces. First off, he goes to the father and asks for his inheritance and essentially what does that mean?
1: He basically is saying to his father, um, it's tantamount to saying, I wish you were dead. because I don't think
2: people read it that way. Well, that's
1: exactly what it is, especially in the Jewish culture. You don't get an inheritance unless your father passes away. Mm -hmm. And it was understood that, that the son would get a double portion, the oldest son, and any other siblings would have the divide of the rest. Now here, the youngest son is saying to his dad, I want what is due to me... After you die Mm -hmm. Now imagine the father still alive And he's saying wow You basically only want what I have And you don't want me
2: Yeah and I think again In common terms How does that apply in our lives That's rebellion It's pure and simple rebellion
1: Well yeah in many ways Rebellion or being disobedient But also I think it can even be What we want from God What he can give us The blessings and the gifts But we don't want God Mm -hmm. We don't want the relationship We only want his hand Not his heart Right So, and in a deeper level, I think it's even the things God gives us because here the father graciously gives what the son requested Mm -hmm. because it says this in the next verse that he divided to them his livelihood, his livelihood. And I think there's so many things that God gives us, whether they're gifts or resources or, or opportunities. And we take them and we go out into the world and we use them for our own namesake, or our own glory. Mm -hmm. And God willingly and graciously gives them to us, and we're supposed to give them back to him as a sacrifice. So I know from my own life all the gifts that God gave me, and you know even in sports, if you want to talk about soccer, it was very easy to me. And I think even Anthony, your other son, my older brother, who played pro soccer, but he had to put every ounce of his being into that sport, didn't he?
2: Yes, he did. And
1: he used to get mad that I would walk out into the field, and in such a complacent yet composed way... Still do better than most people.
2: Right, because you had more natural talent than Anthony, and Anthony had to work on it.
1: Right, so... And so he
2: appreciated it more, because I think sometimes whatever you don't work for, do you really value it?
1: Exactly. So that's the point of God giving me that gift and me not using it the way I should have. I took it into the world, and as opposed to glorifying God with the gift, I glorified myself. And what happens to the prodigal son who leaves and takes the father's inheritance? He wastes it. So you can waste what God has given you. And yeah, that is a form of rebellion. That's a form of disobedience. And at the end of the day, you're going to find yourself in a point where this son finds himself. Your setting may not look like his setting and it may not have looked like my setting, which was ultimately prison. But you're going to find yourself and you're going to be um, at the bottom of the barrel, hitting rock bottom, asking yourself, how did I get here? And you know what, Mom? It may not even look the way people imagine. It could look like a successful businessman who finds himself in a hotel room on a weekend though his wife's at home and he's contemplating adultery or he's already gone to that point and he's beyond it and he's sitting there saying, what did I just do? Because you chase something like this son. He's chasing a a wind that takes him into the world for satisfaction and fulfillment. And after you get there, it's called the pleasure paradox. You think it's going to fulfill you. And ha- what happens is it drops out from under you and it causes more pain than you thought. And it's like, wow. That's why many people, they set out to do something that is going to be pleasurable and then it turns around and it betrays them. And then there's a feeling of betrayal and pain.
2: I even think that it doesn't have to be so drastic as those, once again, those overt sins of adultery, of, um, you know, drug abuse. It could be just that you have exchanged your first love of God for worldly things. I think of people that work all the time, and they're working so hard to achieve to that one point, that one point. But that one point never comes, and guess at what expense? Their family, right? their children, and then one day, they're 40, 50 years old, there's nothing left. But you got a lot of money, so it's all empty. And I, and I think that this story, we are prodigal. In every way, unless we are using our gifts and talents to the glory of God. And I think that's what it ultimately shows. But let's go through some more aspects. So this son winds up in a pig pen. And parents, how many of you out there, and perhaps you even as a parent, um, found yourself in a pig pen? Because you went your way and you fed your flesh and you, you sought after worldly things. And I know as a mom... Watching my oldest son, when he started to get involved with drugs, and that's an epidemic in our nation right now, and a lot of conversation going on about it, I felt helpless, and I, at times, felt hopeless. And if I, again, going back to didn't know the character of God and couldn't take those feelings and emotions to God, knowing that God was ultimately in in control, and the best control I had was praying for this son— There were times, I remember one time saying to another son of mine, I think it was to Anthony, I was becoming so stressed out and I remember saying, I think this is going to kill me. And parents, you know what I mean. When you are feeling your heart is being pulled so hard, watching that son, you know, disintegrate in every aspect of their life. But ultimately, Matt and I could testify to this. I had to get off of that mindset and get onto the mindset of the power and sovereignty of God. And the more that I did that, the more God's hand was at work. And you better believe this prodigal kid's dad was praying for him. He was a godly man. Of course, he's the representation of God.
1: Sure. The father in this story, the son goes out. He finds himself in a far country. And it says the only reason we call it the prodigal son, which I don't believe is sound biblically, is because it says he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So we take that word prodigal and we say he was the prodigal son. And what I love about Tim Keller, the author of The Prodigal God, and, and where I got our prodigal father from is he breaks down a definition of prodigal. It is this, wastefully extravagant, spending resources freely and recklessly, having or giving something on a lavish scale. I like the first one, wastefully extravagant. So you realize the son was wastefully extravagant, probably wasted all of the money, the inheritance. The friends that were in the city were loving him when he had it, and they left him when he didn't. He finds himself in want, and it says there arose a great famine in the land. So now he's got no resources left. He can no longer be the man out in the city. He finds himself linking up with a man or a citizen of that country, somebody in that world. And they put him to work in their fields, and it was a pig pen. So several things going on here. He was prodigal, wasted all he had, finds himself at the bottom in a pig pen. To Jewish audience that were listening to Jesus tell the story – That was something that was just so shocking. Offensive. Yeah, because he's dealing with something that was considered to be the most unclean animal, the pig. And it tells us that he would have gladly filled his stomach with what he was feeding the pigs, the pods, but he couldn't. And you say, why wouldn't he? Because he was feeding them the food. Why didn't he eat it himself? He couldn't because the food that he gave the pigs was undigestible to humans. And you know what he resorted to? It tells us that – Even though he begged, no one gave him anything. He resorted to begging. How long did he do it? We don't know. Now at this point, do you think the father heard about how his son was doing in a far country? Well, again, it's a parable with three aspects. So the story is a story. So we can conjecture and insert what we think this father was thinking and perhaps what even happened. Would the father who owned a huge estate, a prominent man – Would he have heard about the state of his son? And we have to say yes. He probably did hear that. Hey, you hear your boy? He's working at a pig pen. He's lost it all.
2: And, you know, to go a step further, I've taught this in Bible study, and I say to the parents because I see all the time we have the tendency as parents, we think out of love, to fix and correct and to help these kids that are, are of ours that are troubled or going through troubling times. But this father had such resources, Matt, that he easily could have sent somebody out to check on him. We don't see that in the story. We see him always waiting, always watching, but we don't see him moving towards the situation. And I think that's an important point for parents. Um, When we try to get help to our kids before they're ready to actually receive the help, then we've done them more harm than good. I can't tell you how many moms I've sat with that have said, you know, I went and I gave him the money he wanted, and I bailed him out. And I said, but you know what? He hasn't hit rock bottom. That's when you see God the most clearly. You know that from your story. And I know it as a mom with watching John, your brother. So I think it's important to say that the father was patient.
1: Long-suffering. Yes. Because he suffered, and that would have been grievous to him to hear of his son, his youngest boy, doing so terribly. And he could have bailed him out, but he didn't. And yes, he waited. And we get to a certain part in the story where we we know how long he waited or why he waited. But before we get there, the son has his own type of realization of where he's at and how far he's fallen. Because it says when he came to himself and he realized, he looked around and said, how did I get here? You often have to think and wonder, where was he throughout that journey? And maybe you can relate to where were you? And you can look back and say, how did I do those things? Or how did I talk like that in a world? How was I so off? And you were outside of yourself. But when you come to yourself, it's a form of repentance. You change your mind. He looks around. He says, I would be better off as a slave in my father's house than as where I am. I'd be eating better. I'd be living better. And he comes to the conclusion that this. If I go back and say to my father, I've sinned against heaven which he understood at least that much, that he sinned against God first. And I've sinned against you, Father. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I understand that, the consequences of what I've done. I'd rather just be a slave if you'll receive me back. So he humbled himself. It's humility.
2: And that's true repentance, Matt. There's a difference between being repent, being full of repentance and being just sorrowful because you want to get out of the situation.
1: Yeah, embarrassed.
2: Repentance is, I think the word means a complete about-face, like a turning around. Mm-hmm. And that's what that is. It's not like, you know, maybe I'll just go back and, and figure out how to use more of his resources. Or, No, it was like, I will be a slave. I am no longer worthy yep. to be called your son. So he, he came to that realization. And I think everybody, you know, in life, when you come to yourself, I really do believe that's the moment where you truly become born again and you understand. Because, again, I don't want people out there that have the good life you know you do really good you've never done anything wrong you you know you're upstanding you've you know follow what you think are the ten commandments maybe you go to church every week but if you haven't surrendered your whole life understanding that we deserve hell we deserve hell just by nature of being born in the flesh if you haven't come to that point where you need a savior and then you live like god is your savior you're no different than the prodigal son
1: sure That's true. That's why God, he levels the playing field and he calls all things that are against him sin, whether they're large or small in our eyes. So yes, he comes to this conclusion. He does truly repent. It's a change of direction, a change of behavior. Ultimately, it's a change of mind and he's utterly bankrupt and he realizes that and he decides, I should go back. And if you're there in that position and you think you're too far off – God says you're never too far off to come back. You're never too far gone. I just recently wrote a very quick daily dose they called on the web- website basically saying, just when you think you've gone farther than God could go, you're mistaken because he went further than you when he went to the cross. He went the furthest we could ever think of. He went to hell to give us heaven. So you might think, I've blown it too much. God can't love me. He won't receive me. And you know what? There's many people that think that. And sadly, I believe It's because of the religious establishment, the religious folk. And the very reason that Jesus is telling these stories in the first place, the ones that are saying, he's a good teacher, look at him, he's hanging out with sinners. They're the people that they feel like they can't come to church because they'll be judged. They feel like they'll be um, condemned. And that's the complete opposite of God's economy. He established his church in Jesus so that sinners could find help, it's a hospital. It would make no sense if the hospital kept people out that were sick, right?
2: Yeah, that's the truth. And I remember John, your brother, um, when he would leave the home, we've kicked him out. We've had to. We've said to leave. But he knew my door was always open. And when twice he came back, and I remember him being beside himself, coming back humbled, sorrowful, repentful. And at the same time, he, when he would go to church with me, he would feel a judgment from certain people, you know. And I would say, well, maybe, John, maybe you're reading into it. No. And, and I, too, noticed it. They looked at him differently because of his struggles. And you're right, Matt. Our churches are supposed to be hospitals, man. We are supposed to show Christ the minute. Well, he should be so in us. We don't need to show him the minute we walk in the door. We should be greeting people, accepting people, plugging people in. Just as any hospital would with medicine.
1: Well, yeah. Well, who do you think would be the, the the most effective doctor? One who's been a patient. One who's been a patient. One who understands. Hey, I got that answer right. That's right. One who understands what it feels like to be a patient. And when people walk in, you should have already understood what it felt like to be a patient. And now you're greeting somebody who's in your position and you're inviting them to become the doctor. And that's actually what the word hospitality means. We get our word hospital from hospitality. It means to be a lover of strangers. Think about that. A lover of those you don't even know. It's easy to love people you know, but to take it a whole step further, that extra mile that Jesus invites us to walk, it's to love those you don't even know. And I do know that at our church at Coastal Christian, that's the one thing – ...that you will get when you walk into our front door. You will be greeted. You will be welcomed. And they've created such an environment down from the head pastor, which is a man named Matt Stokes... ...that allows everybody to come as you are. Come experience God. And that is the essence of this story, what we're talking about. It is our prodigal father. Um, We will get to a point where we understand we can never be more prodigal than him. But for today's time in our show, we hope we gave you a little bit of a taste of this one parable with three aspects. We're highlighting the third aspect of that third story that deals with a father with two sons. And wherever you are, if you are the father or the mother and you're dealing with a wayward son or rebellious child, what are you doing? Are you trusting in God? Are you allowing that son to realize it on his own? Or are you enabling them? Are you intervening and intercepting their rock-bottom experience, which is the only element that will really change their heart and mind? And, And I know that has to be hard. And luckily, we're sitting here with a woman my mother who's gone through it twice and even you know twice on a grand scale but all those times in between those experiences where you had to watch your children go off and there was nothing you could do about it so we will continue the next episode in the same thread we appreciate your listening in this podcast once again this is matt and mom live please do us a favor um Comment on these shows, let us know if you are getting anything out of them Share them, let people know that there is hope in Jesus Christ We like to end all shows reminding you that the clearest testimony you have Isn't the one you share with your mouth verbally that people can listen to It's the one you live visually that they can see And Psalm 4610, be still and know that He is God in control Thank you and we look forward to tuning it back in next week Bye
0: it spared me from Satan And now that I love Even my loved ones they hate Waiting pacing, pacing for me to fall on my face But I'm falling in faith Pardon me for his grace There's a battle out there. Spirit leading his realm There's a God up in heaven There's a devil in hell There's a mother she's crying Cause her babies are dying And the father in jail With a son by his side But our father he loves us Unlike any of us Gave his only beloved, love it. 316 on the cross. I know where you're going if you live in that light. You're perfect among us, but in the dark we are light. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Help me spread with the good news. If you live in a lie, you ain't gonna die with the truth. I From, it. I've been there, so I know where you're going. Listen, listen, listen. You guys that are running the street, y'all think y'all doing something different? Nah, don't you know they've watching that block that you're on, since before my time. Wow. So what makes you think that you're doing something different? You want to do something different? Put your faith in Christ.